0: Hear the Word of God from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. This reading comes from the Common English Bible, and you can find it on page 990 in the Pew Bible. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if a person has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, that person doesn't care, how can the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts in God's presence. Even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Dear friends, If our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence in relationship to God. We receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love each other as he commanded us. The person who keeps his commandments remains in God, and God remains in him and this is how we know that he remains in him in us because of the spirit that he has given to us the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God thanks Jason.
1: well here we are in week four of our atonement worship series and some of you may be delighted to know that this sermon is not all about blood. My suspicion, however, is that as we explore this particular atonement theory, there may be enough new insights in this one that it might open up a whole new way for you to experience God's love and a whole new opening for you to follow Jesus. I want to begin with a memory from last weekend. Last weekend my daughters and I had a wonderful trip in New York City exploring the sights and the sounds of that marvelous city. And at one moment we decided to make a stop at the New York Public Library to do some studying and writing last Saturday morning. And down below on the lowest level of that gorgeous library is the children's wing. And in that children's department, we were delighted to find the original collection of stuffed toys that gave rise to one of the greatest collections of children's literature ever. A doll that included a certain bear and his friends a donkey, a tiger, and a little piglet. Many of us grew up reading the stories of Winnie the Pooh and his friends eventually those stories as you know became popular television shows and feature films including one that i happen to remember from the 1980s when i was in st- when i was still in school an episode called Un Valentine's Day the plot begins with a meeting that took place with the entire cast of characters in the hundred acre wood with Rabbit leading the meeting, and the subject of the meeting was the prior year's Valentine's Day, which apparently had gotten completely out of hand. In Rabbit's exact words, there were, quote, 10 zillion Valentine's cards exchanged among all of the folks in the woods, to the point where their houses were so filled with cards and Valentine's that they couldn't even see their houses. So in other words, Valentine's Day in the Hundred Acre Wood had become less an exercise in giving and receiving love and more an exercise in competition, divisiveness, and one-upsmanship. And that left Rabbit to make this declaration for the entire gang. He was canceling Valentine's Day that year and therefore declaring un-Valentine's Day. There's more to the story, of course. We'll get to that in a bit. But for now, I want to let you know that the exact name for the atonement theory that we're exploring today is moral influence or moral example atonement theory. I'll tell you up front, it happens to be my favorite of the seven. There are pros and cons, of course. There are advantages and disadvantages to every one of these, and I'll get to the cons in a little bit. But it's my favorite. There's a tie for second. It happens to be the ones that we're covering next week and the week after that. But this is the one that has been most formative for me, at least over the last several years. It's based on this idea that salvation from God is constituted by the example that Jesus gives us. And the way that he lived his life, he shows us a way that we can live so that we can be in full relationship with God. What I like about this atonement theory is where it begins. It starts with the notion that human beings are fundamentally good. Good. it's easy to forget nowadays when you hear so many bad stories and have so many bad experiences about how bad human beings can be. And it's true. There is a lot of sin and evil in the world. But what we're reminded of in the book of Genesis is that the starting point of human beings is that when God took lifeless lump of clay and breathed into it the breath of life, the very first characteristic that human beings received is that we were made and we are made in the image of, of God, the Imago Dei. That is the greatest, most formative gift that God gave to us at the moment we were born. All of us, without exception, even when we are at our worst, have the image of God within us. does not mean that we are God does not mean that we can rise up to be God. It does not mean that we are equal to God, but it does mean that deep within you, even though it's easy to forget this sometimes, deep within you and deep within me is the full potential to be a full reflection of God's goodness and God's love in the world. That is the way God intended it. But something happened. Something always happens just like in the hundred acre wood so it was in the garden of eden adam and eve those first two who were created in the image of god decided to take this wonderful good loving gift and turn it into something else turn it into something self-centered and competitive and divisive and turn it into an effort to be like god and so it is that that image that's within you and within me becomes tarnished, it becomes tainted. It means that we have this image that is now warped and we can't live into that full potential to be a full reflection of God's love in the world. That is the definition of sin according to the moral example theory. That image of God that you have in your life is rendered tarnished. And if only we had a way of fully reflecting that love again. We can't do it on our own. That image is too warped, but if only someone could break into the hundred acre woods and show us what it really means to be a full reflection of God again by His life, by His death, by His resurrection. Through his words and through his actions could show us the way to live. And the moral example theory says that there's only ever been one person to ever show us what a full image of God looks like, and that person, of course, is Jesus Christ. First John says in the scripture reading that Jess read, this is how we know love, John says, Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Little children, John said, little children, let's not love with words or speech, but with truth and action. And what I like about the moral example atonement theory is that it's not just about the cross that saves us. It's not just what happened on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday that is salvific for us. It actually constitutes the entirety of Jesus' life. All three and a half years of his public ministry, everything he said, everything he did, every way that he related to people, every act of compassion and justice, every way that he turned conventional wisdom upside down, all of that constitutes the full work of salvation, not just the cross, and I like that because it helps answer one of the provocative questions that I asked several weeks ago, if you remember. One of the questions I love to ask candidates for ministry is, if Jesus had died at the age of 20 rather than at the age of 33, would he still be our Lord? In other words, if Jesus had died before he had done any public ministry, any teaching, any miracles, done anything out in public, if he had died before any of that, would he still be our Messiah? And the moral example theory reminds us that the public ministry of Jesus is just as important as the work of the cross itself. By the way, if Jesus had died of a natural cause rather than on a cross, in other words, if he had died at the age of 33, but have died of a stroke or a heart attack, would he still be our Messiah? And the moral example atonement theory says that the cross was important, not because of the blood stuff, like substitutionary atonement theory or ransom theory or cleansing theory, but the cross is important because that was the greatest example that Jesus gave us of how to really love someone. That he went willingly. He went voluntarily. He didn't die of a natural death. He put his own life on the line as an act of love. John says there is no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. The cross is important because through the cross, Jesus showed us the example of true selfless love. That's what I like about the moral example theory. I'll admit to you there's a lot of appeal for me, mostly because it's grounded in Scripture. All throughout the Gospels, all throughout the rest of the New Testament, we hear scripture after scripture of reminders of how important it is for you and me to live into the example of Jesus. You know, one of the most predominant commands that Jesus gave in his ministry on earth was just two words, follow me, constantly telling would-be disciples that if they want to find the way to true life, they simply had to follow his example. The greatest sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, was entirely about how one needed to live their life, to recalibrate their perspectives according to the values of the kingdom rather than the way of the world. Over and over again, Paul is writing to all these churches about how these churches can start living into the way of love rather than the way of evil and sin in the world. And make no mistake what 1 John 3 is saying here in the Scripture passage, if you want to fully reveal the image of God that's within you, if you want to fully express that otherwise tarnished image of God, then your utmost concern, your number one priority, the greatest homework in your faith, needs to be to live a life of love. Not of retribution, not of revenge, not of war, not of violence, not of holding a grudge, to seek the way of peace and forgiveness, of compassion and justice. That is the way to live a life of love. And if you ever need a reminder of how you're supposed to live, then just look at Jesus. Jesus showed us the way. First John three says, "This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love each other as He commanded us." You know, the other thing that I love about the moral example atonement theory is that it's not just fixated on heaven. There are many Christians out there who believe that the only goal of salvation is to get to heaven that the entire orientation of grace is that it gets us to a better place after we die. And that's certainly a true and important part of our Christian faith, but it's not the only part of our salvation. I'm reminded that Jesus was just as occupied, if not more occupied, about the life we live now here on earth. As he was interested in where our souls go, whether they go to heaven or hell, up there or down there, eternal reward or eternal damnation. Jesus was more concerned about the life that we live here on earth and living into the example of love than what happens after we die. Now there are certainly detractors of the moral example theory. They make very good, valid points. I've wrestled with each one, even as I've claimed this one to be my favorite. There are those who would say that this one emphasizes our works to the degree that it's really just a couple sniffs away from becoming a works-based righteousness. It, they believe, diminishes the grace of God that we cannot earn or deserve, and puts the onus on us in order to achieve the kind of life that God wants us to live, I would certainly understand those arguments. There are certainly those who believe that it diminishes the work of the cross, diminishes the work of the blood of Jesus to the point where the work of the cross is really just one episode of many in the life of Jesus, not the most important one. So it just becomes just another example of the love of Jesus rather than the central aspect the central pivotal moment in all human history. Those are all good points. And frankly, if there's anything about the moral example theory that troubles you, it's okay. I've said all along there are pros and cons to each one. And if you don't like this one, and if you don't like the ones that we've covered before, we still got two Sundays to go. You might like reconciliation next Sunday. I bet you'll really love the victory of Jesus on Easter Sunday. But for my money... I love the moral example theory, not not because it tells me that I can work to achieve my salvation. That would be heretical. Not, Not because good works are necessary for salvation, but it's a reminder that Jesus gives us an amazing gift that we cannot earn on our own, and that gift is the example to follow in order to live into the full reflection of God that's within me and within you. And in those moments, when I feel really broken, when darkness and despair and fear and anxiety consumes my mind and my spirit, it's helpful to know not only that I'm not alone, but it's the presence of Jesus who can show me the way to live beyond my fears and beyond my brokenness. And as I live into the example of Jesus, I can fully I can fully experience that joy and love that God desires for all of us. That's, that's what I love about the moral atonement theory. And I particularly love it today because frankly, I can't think of a better atonement theory to talk about on Confirmation Sunday than this one. Because later in the morning, we will have standing before this congregation and standing before God 25 of our youth who are ready to say yes to following Jesus. They have gone through many, many weeks of Sunday night classes where they have wrestled with matters of the faith. They have asked some really tough questions about what we believe. They've expanded their horizon to incorporate Methodist theology and belief and have stretched themselves to ask what it will mean to say yes and to profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And fundamentally, what they are asking of themselves and what they will say yes to this morning when they kneel on this kneeler is this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? 25 beautiful images of God who will be prepared to answer that question. And since it's not the 11 o'clock service, I want to show you their faces anyway in the form of a video that that we filmed two weeks ago that gives you an idea of the moral example theory at work as these kids offer a word or a phrase to answer for us what following Jesus means to them. Following Jesus means to me me.
0: No harm. Peace. Saving. Hope. Love. Peacefulness. Teach. Hope. Never-ending love. Acceptance. Faith. Leading. Savior. Living honestly. Sourceful hope, serving, trusting, doing good, an example, giving forgiveness, loving, love that I'm never
1: alone. So, at the end of the Winnie the Pooh episode, after Rabbit had made his declaration that there would be no more Valentine's Day, and declared on Valentine's Day, and declaring declaring a cessation of all giving and receiving of notes and cards. Winnie the Pooh woke up the next morning. He walked out of his door and saw, sitting on his front stoop, a jar of honey with a bow on it. The honey didn't last long. Pooh ate it all up, and as he was licking his paw, he began to reflect Upon who might have given him such a wonderful, surprising gift? And he came to the conclusion that that gift of love must have come from none other than his BFF, Piglet. And so he went into his house to return the favor for Piglet. He pulled off his shelf another pot full of honey, and he began to walk over to Piglet's house to thank him for the gift by offering one of his own. By the time he got to Piglet's house, the pot was only half full of honey. But he left it there for Piglet to find, and I bet you can tell what happens next. One by one, each character in the Hundred Acre Woods was so overcome by that one act of surprising kindness that they started giving gifts to the other ones anonymously. Piglet made a cake for Owl. Owl then gave a gift to Tigger, so on and so forth, down the entire line of characters until the very last person to receive a gift was Rabbit himself, a lovely large carrot, gift-wrapped with a big shiny bow on top. Turns out there was Valentine's Day after all, all because one person decided to Break through the silliness of unvalentine's day. Break through the the stopping of love and offer one example of unconditional, unsolicited love. It turns out eventually the characters found out who that person was. It's Christopher Robin. He wasn't at that meeting where Rabbit canceled Valentine's Day. And he decided this whole un-Valentine's Day thing was silly. It was messy. It's not the way the Hundred Acre Woods is supposed to be. And so he he surprised them by being the example of love eventually for each character to follow. They were all so consumed with gratitude for Christopher Robin that they decided to put on a play for him. And the episode ends with all the characters taking to this wonderful stage with Christopher Robin in the audience and they put on a performance singing his praises giving him gratitude offering their own bodies in action as a way of saying thank you Christopher Robin for what you have done for us and I think about that episode when I think about what we do on Sunday mornings as we gather together to say thanks to the one who broke through the silliness of un-Valentine's Day, the one, the one who takes a look at this whole broken, messed up world where we're so consumed with ourselves and so wrapped into our own selfish agendas, if only we had somebody who could leave a honeypot on our door. In just a few moments, you'll be coming forward for communion. It's one of the most important rituals we do every month here at the church. You'll come forward, you'll take a piece of the bread, you'll drink of the cup, and and I invite you that when you make that turn to head back to your seat, that turn will be for you a ritualistic recommitment to live into the way of Jesus so that as you walk out the exit doors this morning, you will emerge with new understanding and new gratitude for what Jesus has done for you and that you will recommit yourself. To live in the way of love and peace, justice, compassion, forgiveness. Not because doing so will earn your salvation, but because you are saved and because God's given us an amazing gift, not only the example, but the power to live as God has called us to live. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your example. You have seen us, you have watched us in all of our brokenness, in the many ways that we are so wrapped up in our sinfulness that we cannot fully reflect your love for others or for you. But it is in your Son that we receive the greatest model of self-sacrificial love as we make this final turn through Holy Week and into Easter morning, help us, God, to follow you, just to follow you, to to follow the, the way that you thought and acted, the way you related to other people, the way you exercised forgiveness, the way you sought justice and compassion, the way you lived the way of peace. May your way be our way not by our own works, but by your grace. We thank you for the gift of communion. May it give us fuel for the journey. May it reorient our gratitude to you. And may it strengthen us for the life that you've called us to live. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.